0: buddy, Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. I react to Nick Diaz's concerning interview with ESPN's Brett Akamoto and what it means for his fight with Robbie Lawler on Saturday. Also, I interview UFC featherweight champion Alexander the Great Volkanovski ahead of his UFC 266 main event with Brian Ortega. The Diaz brothers in general, along with Conor McGregor, I have to admit, are like the gift that keeps on giving. Even when they're not fighting and they have anything coming up, there's almost always a story somewhere about them, and it just it feeds the MMA machine. This week, where a Diaz is actually fighting, which is comparatively rare, uh, there's even more going on because Diaz is just gonna Diaz. He just is. And I've talked about this many times with both both Nate and Nick. It's just never easy. It's never simple. It's never oh, his back's gonna make a title run at 170 or 155 or you know for obviously 155 for Nate, 170 usually for Nick. It's never that simple. Even in their primes, respectively, there's something that people tend to forget is is Nick never really had a great streak in the UFC. He's a 500 fighter. In the UFC, didn't beat ranked guys, took on some ranked guys, had some close losses, but still, uh, was just never really a powerhouse at 170. Much more popular than he was effective and relevant and all these things. So I'm not knocking him. I think he's a great fighter. I really love watching him, blah, 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 and go on and on about him. But it seems like his aura and his, I don't know, the, the controversy around him, although, you know, it doesn't get in trouble that much, but. The things around him tend to generate more noise than his actual victories, his title aspirations, his title successes and failures. They all seem to be dwarfed by his personality or just just Nick himself. Um, And that is no different this week. This week, when he fights Robbie Lawler on Saturday in a rematch 17 years in the making, It's absolutely no different. Nick Diaz sat down with Brett Akamoto on ESPN, said some very interesting things, and things that make me question his motivation, why he would do what he does, all kinds of stuff leading into Saturday. And this is not a guy, in my opinion, who plays three-dimensional chess. This is not a guy who... Who would make up something like this in order to seem out of it so that his so that Robbie Lawler doesn't take him seriously? Whatever. And I've read these theories all over the place that this is some kind of gamesmanship by by Nick Diaz. I don't believe any of that. I take what he says primarily at face value, and this is what he had to say about enjoying fighting.
1: I never enjoyed fighting. It's just something that I do. I try to get away from it, but really it's just, it's kind of inevitable. All the people around me and all the money and the sponsors and all that, they won't let me get away from fighting, you know. There's things I could do, but that's not going to work out, you know. I might as well just go and and take my punches.
0: Man, that's sad. That's really sad. Plenty of people every day drag themselves to their jobs and don't like them and don't appreciate them, don't want to do them, but they have to, so they do it. But that job doesn't involve you getting punched in the face. I never got the feeling that Nick or Nate financially needed to do this. Apparently he does, right? Apparently he needs to fight for financial reasons. I never got that impression from watching Nick or Nate in between fights, they don't fight regularly. He hasn't fought in six years. Last time he he won was a decade ago. Clearly, doesn't even fight that much because he hasn't done it. He hasn't been starving to death for six years. I, I don't know. It's confusing to me. Kob, am I alone in that confusion? You haven't fought in six years. Okay, I need the money. All right, why now? I. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, does it? I know his brother has the weed, the weed strain. I thought he did too. I, I imagine he's, you know, he has his own academy. I imagine he's doing all right. Yeah, I would think the same thing. You would think, like, yeah. all right, after of all this time off, you know, everything was like, all right, yeah, Nick's ready to come back. Nick's ready to come back, and then we hear this interview, and it sounds like he wants to do anything but come back. I, I'm confused. I real, I'm not. It's, 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 it's extremely on brand for for Nick. Who I think throughout his career, and Nate to a lesser degree, have had at best a love-hate relationship with fighting. There was a time, I guess, you liked it. There was a time, I guess, you had passion for it. And maybe that time is gone and we just didn't realize it. I, I don't know. But he's always been... Of course, he does have social anxiety. So maybe it's the, the, the the fact that he's being interviewed pisses him off. And once he gets in... Because you hear that a lot. That... Fighters, especially Nick, he doesn't like the things that go around fighting. He doesn't like press conferences and and fans, and and, you know, and 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 doing media. He doesn't like any of that stuff. So it could be he's just pissed off. He has to talk to Brett Akimoto, but by the time the fight rolls around, he's better. That might certainly be it. But this is what we had to say about everything around the sport that and, and and fighting itself doesn't sound enjoyable to me. Let's hear it.
1: Nothing at all. This is not an enjoyable. This whole thing is for, for everybody else. I'm glad, to, you know, to, that the fans are happy and that they love it. And that's just what gets them going, you know. But, like, it got me going when I was a kid. Five months in, I was like, oh, yeah, in five months, man, I'm going to be good. And I was good. And then I'm like, after I do, you know, after I make, like, 5-0, and I'm going to be so good. And I didn't even make it to 5-0. and <laughs> So then I had to go back for more. And it just, after that, it was just no way out.
0: say to that what he's i mean it's 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 depressing it's upsetting it's unfortunate that the guy feels that way about something that he's done for a living for coming up on 20 years and that sucks i don't want to see anybody do a job they don't want to do let alone a fighter who's got to go through hell in every camp, and then you go through hell in the fight, and you recover and all that crap, and and especially the way Diaz has fought his entire life, which is in a very blood and guts manner. The guy does generally take a lot of damage in fights. has an iron chin. But to fall into something and go, well, at this point I can't stop. A, a, A great quote if you saw the first season of uh true detective and matthew McConaughey's, McConaughey's character is in this like rental storage unit where he's doing this detective stuff and he goes i'm paraphrasing but he says something like you can only get good at so many things in your life be careful what you get good at like i'm a detective now what what I do even though i you know i'm not he doesn't work for police anymore it's a long story but my point is it's well. I'm good at this, and I'm fifty-something, so can't go back to barber college, right? That happens to a lot of people, and I, you know, to be totally honest, it did happen to me a couple years ago, where I was like, man, maybe I was just in the wrong field for like a dozen years. You know, maybe I spent my time getting good at something that is now completely useless. I'm an MMA commentator, and there's nobody to commentate for. I, I remember going through that. And I'm telling you guys right now, it's a shitty feeling. To go, man, I, I just spent my years getting good at something that doesn't serve me. In totally different ways, of course. But it, it sucks to hear that. It really does suck to hear that from that. He doesn't like anything about it. Nick doesn't like anything about it. And yet he's forced to keep going because that's all he knows how to do. He's not, you know, the most articulate guy in the world, meaning it's not like, oh, he can transition to the mic. He's he's, he's notoriously difficult to, to – when it comes to the UFC, it's not – he's one of the guys that, you know, is going to get the golden handshake at the end. It sucks to hear all this. Um, but Diaz is still going to Diaz, and I do mean Nate and Nick which is when they talk about their own potential and abilities, they tend to overblow things a wee bit. And Kelly is smiling because she knows what we're about to talk about. Uh, taking on Kamaru Usman. This is what Nick Diaz, who, once again, hasn't won in 10 years, never d- hasn't defeated a ranked welterweight since Robbie Lawler in the UFC. Uh, this is what he had to say about fighting the number one welterweight in the world. Right now, I would put him number two all time, Kamaru Usman. Here we go.
1: I do believe that, but, um, I mean, w- what do you have, Usman? I think I'll beat Usman. I had a better shot at beating Usman than I do Lawler just because, because I already beat Lawler. This, this doesn't make sense for me to go in there and fight Robbie Lawler again. I don't know why, this, why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm doing this. This should not happen. Whoever set this up is an idiot. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why this happened. I should be fighting Kamar Usman, and that's it.
0: You haven't fought in six goddamn years. Nick, you know why you're not fighting Kamaru Usman? Because your last UFC run, you were 1-4. and four. I'm sorry, 1-3. At four fights, you were 1-3. And yes, Anderson Silva got overturned became a no contest. In the octagon, you lost. You also lost to GSP. You also lost to Carlos Condit. You beat a puffed-up 155-pounder. So you don't deserve a title shot. Period. End of sentence. Let's start with that. Secondly, guys like Kamaru Usman, guys who can wrestle, guys who have the power to stand with you and aren't going to collapse, have always beaten you. That's always been the kryptonite of both Diaz brothers is someone who could out-wrestle them, someone who can put them on their butt and keep them there. I don't think at this point, also, Nick can strike with Kamaru Usman. I, I don't believe that either. So I think Usman destroys his ass, personally. But style wise, the worst possible matchup. You can't out wrestle him. His gas tank is endless. You're not going to out cardio him like you do everybody else. I think the striking advantage you might have had seven or eight years ago is gone. I think Usman, Re- I know he's a harder puncher. I think Usman wrecks his ass. But why am I fight- not fighting Kamaru Usman? There's your answer. Why am I fighting Rob- Robbie Lawler? You don't deserve right now a relevant top 10 guy. So out of that, this is the one that makes the most sense. It is the most fun. You are in the fun zone. You know, Kel, like the friend zone, except fun. He's in the fun zone. You don't deserve a, a ranked guy that you might screw up their title shot. So we're going to give you somebody outside of that. Why not, Robbie Lawler? It's not idiotic at all, Nick. You know, this is, the, this is the best case scenario, I think, for Nick Diaz. So uh, this is uh, him talking about fighting the guys his brother, uh, his brother fought, which I thought was interesting.
1: And I don't want to fight the guys my brother just fought. My brother fights it the same way as me, so it's, just, it's kind of tough, you know, because I don't want to get in his way. And he gets in my way, and then I get in his way, and I'm like, yo, bro, like, take the whole damn thing, please, because that, that's what I wanted for you was to be okay. So I really sacrificed myself for him. You know, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to fight Robbie Lawler again. But he doesn't get it. He don't deserve to get his ass whooped. And I know I'm going to beat the out of him, and I don't want to. And if I lose, I don't want to lose to Robbie Lawler. I already beat him. That's, that sucks.
0: Wow, yeah, must suck. If only you were getting paid. I, I I don't know what to tell you, dude. You can't just, like, step away from the sport for six years, come back and call your shot. So, yeah, you know, I, I I guess... And also, why the hell did you sign the fight? In the first place. I'm sure if he had said, look, I just don't want to fight Rob Duller. Uh, okay, then we're not going to have you fight anybody else. All right, I haven't fought for six years. I imagined they did something to entice Nick Diaz back all right might be a ton of money I assumed Robbie was somebody he wanted to fight simply because once you've been gone for six years you know apparently you're okay with retirement apparently you have no need to come back so why would you come back for a fight you don't want none of this makes any sense from Nick Diaz perspective this fight makes perfect sense from the UFC's perspective Fans are hyped about it, everybody wants to see it, da-da-da, there's some of the nostalgia factor. Nick, I don't think, beats a relevant welterweight at this point. They don't want him to beat a, a, a relevant welterweight because it derails them for a guy that doesn't like to fight that often. Makes perfect sense. Everything makes sense in this fight for the UFC and the fans. It just doesn't make sense for some reason for Nick. Uh, so, who are we not talking about? Robbie Lawler. How is he dealing with all this? It was originally 170 a couple days ago. Now it's 185 for no reason that I'm aware of other than that's how Nick wants it. This is what he had to say about it. Let me guess. I don't care.
1: I'm just trying to stay calm. You know, there's no sense in like getting all riled up and excited. This happened. This, this is whatever. Just staying relaxed. I mean, camp went well. So that's pretty much what it comes down to. I'm falling back on. The work I put in, the work I put in went great. My training partner, Jason Jackson, got me tip-top and ready to go. So, like, I'm, I'm sharp right now. I'm freaking strong. My coaches did a great job. So that's what I'm falling back on. That's why I'm not too worried about it. Life is good. I mean, he comes to fight. He's going through whatever he's going through. It is what it is kind of thing. Like, just kind of show up and fight. And uh, that's kind of the approach I'm taking. Like, just whatever.
0: How Robbie Lawler is that, kobe I know you're a fan, just like, is that, I was like, he's going to say, get in their fight. How cool is that, right? Robbie Lawler is one of our best throwbacks from the early era of like, whatever, man, they just put a guy in front of me and I take him Right, yeah, (laughs) that MFR is my spirit animal, dude, because it's like, it's just back in the day when, you know, for people who don't know, coming up on the amateur scene, not amateur, I mean, I was a professional, but like on the local scene, you'd show up and they go, you're fighting this guy. You're like, "I I thought it was this guy. Well, no, it's this guy. There were no commissions, so they they could make you fight anybody. Oh, sorry, it's 185, that's what we got for you. So Robbie's like a throwback to that. The dude's an absolute gangster, can't wait to see him fight.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Hall of Fame sportscaster Leslie Visser and I've got a new podcast, In Conversation, where I'll draw from 45 years of covering the Final Four, the NBA Finals, Wimbledon, the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Olympics, CBS even sent me to the fall of the Berlin Wall. I think you'll enjoy the give and take, so subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app included in most
0: subscriptions. We finally got him. He's a busy dude. What's up, Alexander Volkanovsky? How you doing, my man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You're right. Busy, busy, but I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. we good to be back doing my thing here in Vegas. Oh, man, I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited for you, buddy. So what I've been talking about that I want your opinion about is there seems to be an edge to this fight. You are one of the nicest guys I've ever dealt with in MMA. I've interviewed you. I, I forget how many times at this point and you're always in a good mood you're always you know happy go lucky you enjoy this life you enjoy this the, the job that you have but Brian Ortega has kind of brought out what I would say is a little bit of edge this is a guy you don't like and you've taken on the best of the best this has never been brought out of you what is it man
2: well I've never spent so much time with any of my opponents like this you know what I mean I've never had to compete so much with them. With uh, you know, you got your your team versus team, all that type of stuff. You know, there's words that are going to be said. Usually, it's you know starts off respectful. There's no if there's no reason to hate them, there's no reason to hate someone. But you know, the more time you spend, the the little things they said, they start to annoy you. You start to know more about about them, uh, about you know the type of human beings they are. You know what I mean? Just things like that. And then just again, uh, I don't I don't really like the guy. I don't I don't really care too much about what he's about. I don't really like what he's about.
0: So, uh, you know, there's no reason for me to be so friendly with him when I don't really like him. Talk about that motivation, Alex, because you said, look, I wasn't the most talented guy. I'm short. I was heavy when I started doing MMA. I had to work really hard to get everywhere I am. Do you feel like Brian Ortega uh, is, is on the opposite side? Let's face it. Dude looks like an underwear model let's be honest, right, um, is an, a, a talented guy, is that sense of, like, he didn't have to work as hard as I did to get here. Is that how you feel, and does that motivate you?
2: No, 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 no. He doesn't work as hard as I do and I know that. <laughs> you know Got what you. I mean? I know that. You know what I mean? Just from spending time with him, you know what I mean? He, he openly admits, now that I've put him on show, about how much he's late. You know what I mean? The, the stories I hear are endless. And now he's just, you know, he's taking it all in. You know what I mean? Like it's just unprofessional, unprofessional. There's a lot of things that, that I can uh, say that, that show how unprofessional it is. He is, you know what I mean? And you know, and like I said, he's got a bunch of yes men around him. All, all this type of stuff. You know, he's choosing people that will just do whatever, whatever, whatever he wants to do. You know what I mean? I feel like he's a selfish sort of person, and he doesn't deserve that belt because I'm over here busting my ass, just like uh, just like fighters should be, just like champions should be. And I know he doesn't deserve that. You know what I mean? He he ain't doing what real champions are doing, and that's why I don't believe he's ever going to get the belt. He needs to change. He needs to change uh, his whole mentality if he ever wants to get close to this belt.
0: Speaking to Alexander Volkanovsky, 145 pound champion, take, champion taking on Brian Ortega this weekend. What does that mean in the gym to you? So when you say. Brian Ortega doesn't work as hard as I do. He's lazy. He's he's late. Whatever that might be, how does that motivate you, man? With that extra session, that extra run, that extra sprint, whatever it is, how does your attitude about him manifest itself in the gym when you're getting ready? Man, it's just
2: uh, it's plenty. Obviously, it adds fuel to the fire. Yeah. But uh, the thing is that with me, uh, I, I talk about this underdog mentality. That, you know, I know I'm working harder than him, but I'm telling myself. He might be working harder. You know what I mean? That's the top. yeah, he might be, I might need to do more. You know, he might be better than me. We need to, we need to get better. You know what I mean? I'm going to tell myself these things, even though I don't really believe it, but I'm going to tell myself these, so in preparation, I'm busting my ass, and I'm, I am 100% prepared for anything that comes my way. Anything. But I guarantee you, like, like I said, you know, he doesn't have the mentality that I do. Uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't work uh, like I do. So uh, that's why, again, you know, I'm just going to be too much. Or he only has a puncher's chance in there, and and, and that's all, all I believe. I, I'm uh, I'm too well-rounded. I've uh, you know put it all together better than anyone, and I'm just yeah, again, uh, you know, I'm too too well prepared.
0: So uh, what I'm curious about, and I'm speaking to the champ, the great Alexander Volkanovsky, 145 pound champion. When you look at his fights, uh, Korean Zombie, or, of course, got manhandled by uh, Max Holloway, being knocked out Frankie Edgar before that. When you look at his fights, knowing what you know, having been around him as much, do you see that in his fights in certain areas where, if he, you know, he could push it and he doesn't, or uh, he wears down a little bit? What, what what have you seen in his fights in your study that you think is, is a manifestation of that? What you say is you know a laziness or lack of work ethic? Do you see it in his fights at all? Well, you
2: still see that he's that he's tough when he's right. in the, when he's in the fight. You can still see that he's tough. Like he will still still stand there and trade. But you do obviously we have seen um, him have troubles with his gas tank, obviously against Max. Uh, And the fights before that, you obviously see um, like how much he gets hit. You know he's very hittable. But he showed in his last fight that he you know he he can he can play the long game. He can fight at range, all that type of stuff. You know work to a game plan. So he shows different tools. But he's never had anyone like me in front of him. You know, put a, a complete puzzle that he does not understand. Trying to figure it out while you know, while there's violence in there, you're trying to figure out this 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 puzzle. But you know, this isn't just a puzzle I can just look at it and you know move pieces on the board. Or you're going to get punched in the face if you get it wrong. You know, there's just going to be too much happening, and you know, that's exactly what why I feel like I'm going to crumble him in there.
0: When you look at the 145-pound division, you know, a lot of talent in there. A lot of that talent is very young. Is it a matter of feeling disrespected as champion? Is it a matter of, man, I got to beat a few of these guys. If I beat Brian Ortega, if I beat, you know, whoever's next, whoever it might be, you know, when I beat those guys, I'll get the respect I I, I deserve. Because you said you like fighting from that underdog position. Is that hard to keep when you're champ, man? That underdog fire.
2: Oh man, look! It's a look, man. You're going to have doubters no matter what you're doing. You know, I mean, we've all been in this uh, position. You look at you look at Max Holloway through his, you know, when he fought Brian Ortega. You know, he was I don't even you know what I mean. Like you can talk and he felt disrespected. Look, this is this this is a trend. This does happen. You know, there's always going to be a new challenger. This is the guy. This is the guy. This is the guy. You know, you're always going to see that happen time and time again. But at the but at the end of the day, you know that doesn't mean nothing to me. Anyone that the real ones. No, anyone that knows the sport knows that the high level that i 'm at, so again, I do use that as fuel, but you know obviously i don't let it get to me too much, and I use that just purely as as fire in the belly just to give me that drive uh
0: so ask me uh, when i when I look at this when, when I ask myself about this fight when i when I take a look at it, I don't just look at this. It's my job to look at the entire card, and it is absolutely stacked. I mean, Obviously, you have uh, Lawler-Diaz, you have Valentina Shevchenko defending her title against Lauren Murphy. It's a great card all the way around. How does it feel to U.S. champ to be at the top of that card that the UFC made this whole, I think, blockbuster pay-per-view, and you're right at the top of it? You talk about disrespect. That's a sign of real respect, at least from the UFC, man. How does that feel?
2: It made it feels good, you know. It's about time, you know what I mean. It's about time, but it does feel good. It is a great card uh, from top to bottom, from top to bottom. You know what I mean. So, uh, you yeah, to be on top of that, it's an honor. You know, obviously, uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for it. You know, it was good. And but again, I, you know, I don't feel the pressure of it. But again, very thankful, and uh, that just makes me want to put on an even better performance. You know what I mean? There's going to be a lot of eyes watching, and people want to tune in. People are going to want to tune in because I'm telling you. You're going to see a guy that's going to try. He's going to have a game plan. He's going to try and fight this fight that he did last time. And he's going to figure out real quick that, you know, he can't keep up. He can't He can't play this chess match with me. You're going to see the old Ortega come out where he's going to start swinging, going wild, and we're going to have some fun. It's going to be exciting. I can't wait to put on the show and just really make a statement and finish the, a good good night, uh, night of fights.
0: Uh, how important is that to you? Of course, speaking to Alexander Volkanovsky, the champ at 145, as you said, with the time off, with the COVID and everything, this fight being delayed, to not just win, but put on a show for the fans, being exciting. It's like Aussie fighters almost have a reputation to keep when it comes to th- throwing down every time they get in the octagon. How important to- is it to you to not just defend your title, but to put on a show for the fans, man?
2: Yeah, man, that is. Uh, I've said it uh, okay that. But- you know what I mean? Like, obviously, I've got to be calculated. I've got to be calculated because everyone remembers winners. That's it. But at the same time, just winning, you know, doesn't feel like it's enough. I want to go out there and I want to get that finish, you know. I really want to push for that finish. If it's not a, a finish, I want to be trying to get that finish. and I want an absolute war, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to get that finish, set that statement, and uh, really, really, uh, you know, get people, get people fired up.
0: Alex, I know you got a busy day full of interviews. I appreciate you making time for us, man. Best of luck with your cut. Best of luck in the fight, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Anytime, Alexander Volkanovsky. That's right, UFC featherweight champion. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the Serious XM podcast network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Merck. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is Director of Sports Podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Revis. SiriusXM
2: Podcasts.